0: The Cincinnati Bengals are in the Super Bowl. I don't think I was ever expecting to utter that phrase and truly have it be the case in my life, John Sheeran. The Bengals are headed to Super Bowl 56 to clash against the Los Angeles Rams in L.A. Holy crap. How are you, John Sheeran? In your
1: life, man. It's never happened in my life. It's never <laughs> happened in a lot of people's lives. It's never happened in this this age, this era of society. Um, Yeah, we're just taking it all in, man. I, I just thought to myself earlier today, like, this bye week is clutch. Not in any case of the injuries of the players, but just soaking it all in and making sure that we manage this and we cover this with as much TLC as possible because, like, we, this is... This is why we get in this industry to cover stuff like this
0: because this doesn't happen every now and then. It does not, and quite honestly, I mean, it's impressive any time a team gets to a Super Bowl, goes through the playoffs, gets gets postseason wins. But the way this team got here and the way that they fought and who they beat to get here was pretty damn unbelievable. Pretty, pretty unbelievable. By the way, that intro music, uh, courtesy of Bleed the Sky, go check out their music from Art is War Records and get it on Spotify. I mentioned on the Happening Headline show that Ian Ryder, Bengals fan, local musician, he supplied some of the music on the intro there. So their music from Holy Coast Band is on Bandcamp. Go support those uh, those peeps if you can, because we like to support a bunch of different people. But we've got a lot on tap. We've got a lot on tap. We're going to kind of make it a little bit of a condensed show because we've got a lot of stuff coming. We've got interviews coming, potentially some on-site stuff uh, at the Super Bowl. We're, we're figuring all that stuff out. We've got a, a lot of different coverages going on, different episodes. So we're going to try and hammer you with a lot of different stuff. And obviously, the the game is a week and a half away. It's not this coming Sunday. So we'll talk about that a little bit. But we're going to talk quite a bit about this last game against the Chiefs. We're going to talk quite a bit about how the Bengals got here, some pivotal moments, stats, data, etc. And really, this is a celebration show, John. I mean, this is this is a long time coming for the Bengals, to say the least. And really, I mean, I know it's not saying much from some dweeb on a couch talking about the the game, but really proud of the team and and how they got here. Quite honestly, I mean they they kept fighting through stigmas, fighting through preconceived notions, low expectations, and they just kept chugging along and beating teams, be it by incredible comebacks, short margins, or wide margins throughout the season, John. It's been an impressive campaign, to say the least.
1: It really is the theme of the season, and I guess you wouldn't really want to have it any other way. And now they're four-point or three-and-a-half-point underdogs again, and they're, I think, 6-0 and in those situations this year. But that was my takeaway, I think, driving home uh, Sunday night. Like, It's very rare to have a situation like this where you are a nationwide underdog that's being cheered on basically throughout the country to take down this juggernaut, whether they be annoying in some sense or just consistently successful. But the Chiefs quickly arose to that designation over the past couple of years. And you couple that with, you know, kind of an annoying brother and and fiance, I guess. And really the whole country just kind of gravitated towards this team because, They're just really fun to root for and they have great individuals, great people that are just fun to watch and and fun and engaging. And they got nicknames and they got culture and they got swag and stuff like that. It's very rare. I I guess from my perspective to see a team like that actually succeed and, and validate all the hype, right? It's very rare to see everyone kind of get on their back and say, Hey, do this thing that we've never seen before. And then to actually do it, that's rare in in itself for Cincinnati a Cincinnati team to do that. Cincinnati has been underdogs before. They've been nationwide darlings before. We just saw it last month with the, with the Bearcats going up against the powerhouse in Alabama. We all know how that turned out. It's very rare for this city to be in this situation and to actually pull it off to be for the entire country to want this thing to happen outside of Kansas city and Kansas and Missouri. And for it to actually happen, I I can't, I, I still can't put it into words what that means For just a Cincinnatian, someone who reps this city. And obviously there are people like you, Anthony, all across the country who rep these colors and rep this team. And you don't have the home field advantage. You don't have the support of the community and your neighbors. You're basically on an island. But like to, to have that happen with this city and to just wipe away completely those narratives and really just one checkbox to go, it was a surreal feeling. And I think it's something that, can't necessarily be replicated you can be underdogs more than once like they can go back to the playoffs in the Super Bowl and they can be counted out again but to break through like this this is a once in a lifetime and a once in a generation type event and I'm just thrilled that we were all uh witnessed that we all witnessed it
0: yeah we're gonna we're gonna talk about some key moments as to what we feel really got them here throughout the season, obviously. I mean, we we know big picture what got them here. Wins and wins in the postseason got them here, obviously. But there are, there are key moments and turning points in the season that we feel like really brought the Bengals to, to this promised land, so to speak. But before we get there, let's talk about the Chiefs game, John. Because this, basically, it would seem... I, I felt like watching the national media watching the predictions and watching all this stuff. It felt like of the talking heads, Boomer Esiason was the only guy who picked the Bengals to beat the chiefs. And you knew he was going to, whether he truly believed it or not, because he bleeds origin black. Nobody gave this team a shot. Nobody. And then the game, John got ugly 21 to three, pretty early on looked like, Cincinnati had no answers to this team, slowly, methodically. Maybe a little bit of lady luck in terms of bounces of the football and whatnot, but good scheming and a lot of different things played a role in the Bengals coming back from the largest deficit in a championship game and beating the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium.
1: It's wild what actually happened in order to get to that situation, because Anthony, in a lot of ways, this game mirrored the week 16 game or week 17 game. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously you had the, you had the 11 point deficit, right? And the way that they got there was that the chiefs were dominant on offense, Uh, the Bengals offense. Then this time, they didn't really catch fire towards the end of the first half. They only had uh, one touchdown with the surprising touchdown of Samaji P Ryan, 41 yard screen. Everyone saw that coming for sure. But the Chiefs were firing on all cylinders offensively, and then again to hold them to three points in the second half, which is exactly what they did in Week 17. At that point, it's not necessarily a coincidence, right? It's not a fluke. It's not a false loss, if you will. Maybe that's just the nature of these two teams meeting each other. It's hard, I guess, to grasp the concept that Lou Anarumo, who was hired as a defensive coordinator basically a week before the scouting combine three weeks ago, was able to not once but twice outsmart Andy Reid in a matter of a month's time. I guess that's hard to to grasp and conceptualize from an outsider's perspective, but we've seen it happen twice now. And the way that they were doing that in ways that went against the grain and against convention and how you normally would beat the Chiefs, dropping back eight guys, playing single high safeties, cover one robber, basically showing two safeties high, Dropping down either Von Bell or Jesse Bates, and th- honestly, when you th- when you think about it in terms of conceptions, like that is a great way to stop the Chiefs' offense because so much of their offense is predicated on yards after catch going over the middle. You have Hardman, you have Hill, you have Kelsey on these deep crossing routes, and to put a safety in there, Von Bell or Bates, basically over the middle, bas- make the middle field close at that point, and forcing those guys on the outside to beat them, and then basically making Mahomes hold the ball for so long that even a four man or three man rush can get in in there in time. It's genius in hindsight, but no one expected it to work because that that doesn't that doesn't compute in your brain until you actually see it work and happen. But in this game, Anthony, it wasn't Jamar Chase going off on the outside. T Higgins had had a very solid game, but he wasn't exactly gaining separation on the outside. For me, man, like seeing Joe Mixon having so many early down runs against you, you wouldn't think that would happen going up against the Kansas City offense. But he honestly impressed me a lot the way that he was able to efficiently read his gaps and and recognize where the leverage was going and just getting downhill quickly. It was Mixon's efficiency that I think kept the offense going for most most of this game. And then we can talk about the quarterback. Not necessarily the most clean and efficient game from him, but 17 pressures to the Chiefs, only one sack. That's not necessarily on the the Chiefs being bad at pass rush. That's Burrow's superpower just showing itself in ways that Mahomes couldn't in this game. And you know what? You, You said that no experts were picking the
0: Bengals. Adam Rank had his arrow pointed to Burrow for Mahomes, and Burrow backed that up. He did. And by the way, we've got some of these stats to a lot of things you just pointed to. P. Ryan, th- those are going to be some of the stats of the week. P. Ryan and et cetera. We'll give you those in just a little bit here. But Russ ENT saying, Hubbard on that spy technique. Love that. And he he did it against the Raiders that almost caused a safety in that game. And he did it again this week in a, in a big play late that caused a fumble in uh, against Mahomes that forced a really tough, much tougher field goal make for Butker at the end of the game to send it to overtime there. But yeah, here's the deal with the defensive switch up, if you will, and the scheme switch up. You made a great point about the deep crosses, the drag routes, all that kind of stuff that were, and those were killing the Bengals defense in the beginning part of the game. Those were just absolutely gashing them. And so they took those away, and I thought the beautiful thing that Zach and Lou Anna Rumo did at halftime, this adjustment, what they did, they almost used uh, – this is kind of a thought I had today. They, in a sense, used Kansas City's aggressiveness and, and all of that against them, and they turned it into impatience. They turned it into a, a, a game of which – You know, forcing a guy who doesn't make a lot of bad throws to make errant throws, feel like he's off his spot, all that that stuff, and the ad-lib nature of Mahomes being able to wait until more guys come open, that was all taken away. So that aggressive score, score, score mentality that works so often and so well for this Kansas City team was turned against them, and they became impatient, they became impulsive, and they became... They, they became a, a unit that was making poor decisions because of the defensive switch up. So I, I can't credit what they, what they did in those final two plus quarters enough for, for what, you know, and it, it paid off. It's the same thing they did a few weeks ago against them, three points in that game in the second half, three points in, in the second half in this game for the chiefs. And
1: one of the biggest differences to me was that, when you had the situations where the, the Bengals were only rushing three or four and they're putting Hubbard or Henderson or Wilson as a spy and then sending them late when they were eventually getting home and Mahomes was holding the ball and that's what he likes to do, right? He likes to extend plays, yep. create a structure. We, I mean, we just talked with Joe Valerio of like how as an offensive lineman, do you block for eight, nine seconds when you have that quarterback back there? The difference in this one was, the Bengals were staying in their rush lanes and they were making sure that Mahomes was contained. And Mahomes eventually did get outside a couple of times, but it didn't lead to anything dramatic. It was only like maybe a couple of yards here and there. Mm-hmm. And Hendrickson mm-hmm. and Hubbard and even Reader at some point, they managed to keep outside and keep Mahomes running around doing 360s back in the pocket. The difference between that and with Burrow and the Chiefs is that you had oftentimes Melvin Ingram, Chris Jones get a little bit too far outside, get a little bit too aggressive, still not understanding that this guy, Joe Burrow, and all 6'4", 220 of him can break off of tackles and manipulate guys in the pocket and make a miss and then make Chris Jones miss twice. There were just times where the Chiefs got too aggressive in their rush lanes at times and allowed Burrow to get outside and make those plays on his own. Because honestly, like most of Burrow's best plays in this game were just with his legs, whether it be yep. it being finding Jamar Chase open after evading the sack, picking up a crucial first down and then picking up a third and seven that may have probably changed the game when it's all said and done. So the difference in this game to me was that two quarterbacks that are great at this, great at extending plays, one of them was able to turn it into positive yardage and first downs. The other was just basically trying to survive at, at all at all costs and not succeeding. And in the Bengals defense, I, I thought I thought initially that they were playing more zone in the first half and then switched to man, but they were playing man throughout the entire game. And in the and in the second half, Mike Hilton, Von Bell, Trey Flowers, even should have been woozy at times. Eli Apple all stepped up in man coverage. It's an impossible task to do against those track stars for the Chiefs, and they did it. Eli Apple. I guess we can talk about him real quick. The fact that he was late on the motion from a Hartman that was the third touchdown for the Chiefs. Right, it's very mm-hmm. easy walking touchdown, and then just a drive later that, to end the half. The same type of concept. He was motioning across the line of scrimmage, and Apple was following him across. And this time he wasn't late. He didn't stop. He kept with Tyreek Hill, the impossible task of forcing Tyreek Hill back towards the inside of the field and making a perfect form tackle on him. A lot to say about Eli Apple, just the person that he is and the mouth that he runs. But there are times when he backs it up, and that was that time.
0: Yeah, I think this is Tim or Tyam Courts here saying Mike Hilton's been a beast all playoffs yeah, two, two passes defended that I counted in the second half alone that, that were big, big key plays. You mentioned Apple stepping up a couple of times, Bates and Bell. Uh, I, I mean, the secondary, this it's it's really I, it, I guess I could say it's funny because it's working out in the Bengals favor. But the best football we have seen from Jesse Bates has been these last these last three games. Right. I mean ups and downs throughout the, the the regular season. And then he comes into this postseason and those guys are everywhere, him included. It's great, great to see. And you know, I going back to your comment about what Burrow and Mahomes like to do ad libbing, you know, out of structure, however you want to call it. The this is this is where you're you your quarterback in crisis type of thing. What 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 do they do? How do they react? What do how do they respond? Um, and it just uh, not that Mahomes is a, a you know a, a head case or a, you know has tons of issues because we've seen him create so much so often out of structure when things are breaking down or extend to play etc. But Burrow just was a little bit better in those moments. Got out of sacks. Got out of grasps of. All pro pro bowl defensive lineman, right? Twice on one play. Um, <laughs> and and it's just your quarterback doing uh, being able to say, Look, th- this this play is not going where we designed it to go. I'm still going to make something happen here. And there were times, I think there was a throw in the fourth quarter by Mahomes where he was he was moving, he was dancing, nothing was open a- on some of those deeper routes. And he had a running back, I want to say it was Edwards Alaire in the flat, and he just yep. let. Flat- sailed it over his head and I'm going that this defense and what they've shown him in this second half clearly has him uncomfortable. I don't want to say rattled, but he was uncomfortable on his home field. That says something. I'll say this right now because the narrative is that the chiefs
1: just collapsed and they choked and there's no reason why they only scored three points in the second half and the Bengals got lucky. Obviously we know that that narrative isn't true. I think the narrative is actually flipped on its head. It's the Chiefs' defense, I think, that choked. Because I don't think the Chiefs' defense gave the Bengals' offense a lot of opportunities, even in the second half. They were playing, obviously, well in the first half, right? A lot of stall drives, a lot of punts, only 10 points in the first half. And I don't think the Chiefs' defense changed that much in the second half. It was just Burrow and Chase and Higgins making it work with the very limited opportunities that they were given. The Bengals' defense 100% stepped up in the second half. And they, they didn't give Mahomes... And company a chance to break through and keep on these explosive plays that's that is the difference to me the Bengals defense completely outmatched the, the Chiefs offense in the second half and again Anna Rumo outskinned Andy Reid but I don't think the Chiefs defense necessarily played necessarily worse in the second half it was just the Bengals offense just stepping up and I think that is where if you want to call it a choke job I think that's where the choke job was because there's no reason why the Chiefs defense should have given up as many points in the second half or many yards in the second half as they did. But I think there's logic in how the Chiefs offense was stifled. And I think that's honestly where we should be talking about. But it's going to get more clicks if, you know, Mahomes, this goat of a quarterback, you know, only scores three points in the second half. And that's just the reality of what it is, right? It's the AFC Championship game. It's the narratives. It's Mahomes at home. This is just what it is, which is why you tune in to our podcast and our wonderful
0: programs to get the actual nuance of the situation. <laughs> that's right. That's damn right. You got it. Uh, l- look, I mean, y- you can talk about all this stuff about the Chiefs dropped this, this game and whatnot. The bottom line, John, the Bengals beat them twice in a month. They beat him in both venues, and last time it was the penalty issue, right? The Bengals were the big benefactors of all these penalties or non calls or whatever, and that's what got him that three point win. If I remember correctly, the team that when I looked at the team stats on Sunday, the Chiefs had what two penalties called against them? Two. Uh, so they played a clean game and they weren't getting bad calls. Maybe there was a couple here and there that could have been called on the Bengals or whatnot, but. I mean, there's not really an excuse at this point. And and there could be arguments made that Chiefs have maybe more talent top to bottom or whatever you want to say. But the Bengals right now are the better team. They beat the Chiefs twice, both venues, in incredibly high-stakes games, both for a regular season game and the AFC Championship game. Basically, the two types of highest-profile games these two teams could have asked for in either the regular season or the postseason, based on the fact that in the same conference, there's, I mean, the excuses just shouldn't shouldn't be there. I mean, I, I understand it's a tough loss to swallow if you're a Chiefs fan, but, but the the, the excuses kind of got to just kind of go by the wayside here and just say, look, this, they're two very good teams and the Bengals got the best of them twice.
1: How many more games do you want them to play? This exactly. is the best out of five. This is the best out of seven. <laughs> like, yeah, of course. It, it's the it's the miracle speech, right? If they play, if they play them 10 times, they might win nine. Not this time. In this case, they won twice. They won right. twice out of ten. Like at some point, the results should matter. And I understand the process of results. You guys have priors, you guys have data that, that speaks to uh, the season and the past couple of years. I understand why the Chiefs should have won this game in some areas, but ultimately. There's going to be 31 other defensive coordinators that are going, to be, are going to be looking at what Andrew Rumo did against the Chiefs in both second halves, and that should be worth something.
0: Yep. Socks. I, I did not gloss over your uh, super chat. I appreciate that. We will get that when we talked uh, briefly about the Rams. We're going to talk way more in depth about the Rams game next week as we preview that, but we will, uh, I, I will get your super chat in there. It's just going to be a more appropriate later when we talk about the Rams. Appreciate that, and if anyone else... Wants to do that? That's tuning in on the YouTube. You're welcome to do that. We appreciate that. We've got a thanks to a lot of you over the past, you know, couple of weeks. We have a pretty significant donation. We're going to be sending to the Javante Woods Foundation. We're rounding up all the all the money for that, and we're going to shoot that over to them for Icky's big performance or a uh, big appearance on our show. His being a constant throughout the playoff. I mean, he was there the AFC Championship game on there with Mike Brown and the whole crew. <laughs> Um, he, and he has not taken that big B on a chain. He has not taken that off. I wonder if he sleeps with that thing, showers with that thing. I mean, he's got that thing on all the time, but we're gonna, we're, we're thanking him for his appearance and all, all that he is doing. So appreciate your, your generosity on that front to, to be able for us to be able to send. A donation to the Javante Woods Foundation. And if you didn't get yours in, you can go directly to the Javante Woods Foundation.org and send one directly to them. So they're doing some great work in asthma research, et cetera. So uh, check them out. John, um, before we get to stats of the week, state your case, and a little bit of the RAM stuff, I want to. This may play into the state your case a little bit, but. There's some talk of, you know, is this flash in the pan stuff? Is there, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I was on a, I was pleased to be on the the fan radio station in Rochester earlier today. And, um, you know, it, it seems that they were thinking that, yeah, this is a, this team is headed in a very good direction for a good period of time. My contention with it in terms of it being a potential dynasty or a regular thing that they get into the playoffs and far into the playoffs is really their salary cap situation, their contract situation of some of their biggest stars in that they are locked up for a while and or their biggest offensive stars are all on rookie contracts that are very manageable. So this seems to be, and to me, this is about two years early for me, um, I, their arrival in this game. I thought, I thought at best, Maybe the 2022 season would be the one where they really make a deep postseason run. They're about a year or two early in my book for how far they got so far. I, I see this as, as a regular thing, barring any kind of freak deals, maybe a mass exodus of coaches to to head coaching jobs, um, injuries, et cetera. I don't even want to talk about that really, but I mean this just seems like something that's gonna be a regular deal for the Bengals going forward, which is weird and relieving to say. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna list off some names here. DJ Reader, Trey Hendrickson,
1: Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow, Chittabe Wuzier, Jamar Chase, Mike Hilton, Sam Hubbard, T. Higgins, Logan Wilson, Evan McPherson, Joseph Asai. All of those guys, including more, are under contract through 2023. There is continuity here. There is consistency with the base of the roster. There's obviously cap space, like you just alluded to. They are set up better than most other Super Bowl appearing teams in recent history. We can look at the Rams, man. Like they're, they're in the exact opposite boat in terms of future draft capital and cap space and stuff like that. I, I think just in terms of like because house money has been thrown around and just getting here maybe a little bit too early. I understand that, but this was the vision, was it not? To have a guy like Joe Burrow surrounded with a decent roster and explosive weapons, like this eventually was the vision. It's just weird that it's here so quickly, and it's here so quickly because, again, everything had to go right to get to this point, and that's not a knock on them. That's not to take away anything that they've done, but they've managed to stay healthy in a lot of different spots. Other teams ended up kind of falling apart specifically in their division, and they got lucky in some areas, and you need that to make these runs. No one does it completely on their own. Everyone has external factors that factor in to their own success. It just so happens that for the first time in my lifetime and the first time in a long time for everyone else, it's happening for the Bengals. Everything is going their way and that's not to be ashamed of. That's them doing their job and everything else falling into place. And that is how you get Super Bowl runs. That is how you get the start of dynasties. And this can be the start of a dynasty, not just because of all those players that are still under contract. It's because of Joe Burrow. None of this happens without him leaving this team and the way that he carries himself. It's no surprise that all of these players have completely bought in to this culture, just the way that this team is running carries themselves because it all goes back to Joe. It all goes back to the way that he leads. It's the, it's the way that he, that he just is able to relate to everybody and able to galvanize everybody into this right now. And, it, and it's it's weird talking about it because it's hard to describe specifically when you're not in the locker room to see it, but this is how teams sustain success. When you have this kind of leadership and this type of quarterback play That is the thing that you can count on 100%
0: of the time for years to come. And to the point of a lot of different commenters we're seeing from a lot of different platforms, wherever you may be watching, we got a lot of live viewers on a lot of different platforms. Awesome to see all of you. There's there's an odd dichotomy with these two teams facing off in the Super Bowl. The Bengals are the young up-and-comers, the underdogs, but they've got a lot of young talent. And the Rams have basically forfeited a lot of high draft picks. They've got Von Miller. They've got Aaron Donald. They've got Jalen Ramsey. They've got Matthew Stafford, who's way up in his career. They've got a lot of guys where it's like here and now, maybe another year or so for them. But they're, they're going all in for right now. The Bengals are in right now, but they're set up well for the next hand, handful of years for this to be a regular thing, and that's that is just refreshing and amazing from this side of the table because that has just simply, simply put, has not been the case with the Bengals.
1: And another thing, because the, this team is perceived to be just ahead of schedule, and that right now, like it's just beating the Super Bowl is good enough. No, I'll I'll, I'll explain this just in a very sufficient way. I'm not saying that the Bengals have had a lot of talented players that were. They're looked down on because they didn't have success in the postseason, but there is enough where you can just go into your memory banks: Willie Anderson, Chad Johnson, AJ Green, Geno Atkins, just to name a few. All of them have Hall of Fame resumes. All of them don't have postseason success to their resume, and we've just seen how important just one Super Bowl title is for all for anyone in with hopes of getting into the Hall of Fame. And those guys will never get that chance. I mean, especially everyone aside from AJ green, because they're no longer playing anymore. Just having one super bowl win for the guys on this team. And a lot of them are young and a lot of them still have a long ways to go. But knowing that if that happens, their chances of their careers being looked at in the right way, in ways that Ken Anderson may never have in the ways that Ken Riley never did, it would mean a ton. And I know that they're set up to get back to this point, but nothing is guaranteed at the end of the day. We don't know if they will ever be back here. We know that they have good chances of eventually getting back here, but they're here now and they have a chance to do something that no other Bengals team has ever done before. So the house money argument, I understand it, but there's no way that these players should be looking at that because they have a chance to do something that is legitimate history making and would solidify their careers with whatever they do from beyond this point in ways that no other Bengals players ever done before.
0: I agree with you. I, I don't, I don't, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that front. I don't want to say I disagree with you on another part, but I I do think oddly enough that this team being successful, potentially winning a Super Bowl, potentially winning multiple Super Bowls if that's where this thing ends up going, that will positively impact some of these past Bengals players, maybe get a little more attention, maybe the conversation comes up because the Bengals are a little more front of mind and all of a sudden they've got a little bit more of a Uh, clout reputation and and that's how these things go unfortunately with teams that have been overlooked maybe this helps a Willie Anderson a Ken Anderson a Chad Ochocinco to get into the Hall of Fame if this specific team has Super Bowl success I don't know something something to think about I guess one quick question I have for you because you're talking about some of these guys that are getting overlooked and whatnot for, for hall of fame snub. What do you, what do you, what do you make of Andrew Whitworth's chances chances, especially since they're going up against him has had basically two chapters of a really good career and pro bowler, all pro with two different teams. Do you think he's because of the postseason success of the Rams, et cetera? I mean, do you think he's, he's getting in at some point?
1: I think so. It might just be a long time. Like Jerry Kramer, yeah. the Packers, he waited a long yeah. time, um, and he was definitely deserving. I think, to, I mean, you're a left tackle. First of all, Woodworth came into the league at like 25 years old. He's played yeah. 239 games, 235 <laughs> starts at left tackle. He's 40 years old, and he's playing in his second Super Bowl. I think just the longevity mm-hmm. factor makes him a sure lock at some point. I don't know when. I don't think he'll be first ballot. But to be that good for that long, I think he has to be in on that principle alone. And eventually, if you play that long and you're on enough good teams, you're eventually going to make it at some point in the postseason. He just happened to find a team in the Rams to ride that path, and he's been a major part of their success So he should get in eventually, yes.
0: Yeah, and and getting accolades so late in his career, not so much this year, but at 38, 39 years old, I think that... That brings a lot of clout. And I think, you know, he's probably going to be a guy that at some point the Bengals bring in for the ring of honor as well, I would hope. Um, He he deserves that, even though he's had another It's kind of a a Justin Smith thing, right? It's kind of like good career with the Bengals and then goes on to another team that has a a little bit more success. And now he's getting notoriety and kind of a a tale of two careers a little bit for him. But uh, interesting. I just that guy came to mind a little bit. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability
1: is more important than ever.
0: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. we gone long on the Chiefs and the Bengals and stuff. Let's get to a stat. some quick stats of the week. Then we'll get to a uh, state your case. The stats of the week will be pretty quick. They're just some next-gen stats that we want to share courtesy of the NFL, and we'll do that right now. All right, so let's pull up some next-gen stats. I'm sure you've seen these as well, John. Maybe some of our listeners have at this point too, but let's start with Mr. Joe Burrow, QB stat of the week from next-gen stats. We appreciate them. Plus 2.9% finished with a CPOE of plus 2.9%, which was the second best this week. It marked the 18th time he recorded a positive CPOE in a game this year, the most by any quarterback. Your thoughts on that, John?
1: Yeah, completion percentage over expectation. Over expectation, it's, yeah. It is Burrow's calling card, and it, it doesn't surprise me. This is the 18th time he's only played, what, 18, 19 games? That, that, that's yeah. accuracy. That's accuracy in tight windows and the fact that he leads the league in completion percentage while also, I think, leading the league in yards per attempt. You don't get that without threading some tight needles, so or tight windows, excuse me. So, yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yep. Uh, so let's go on to the next one. You mentioned this guy's name. A little bit of an unsung hero this week in Samaj P. Ryan. And this is 0.5% chance of scoring when he caught the pass that resulted in the 41-yard touchdown. He gained 44 yards after the catch on the play. Obviously a swing pass. He was behind the line of scrimmage, including plus 34 uh, yards after catch over expectation, the second most this week. What a great play, man. That was, that was a, a sick play. The Bengals needed that so bad and uh great, great play.
1: You know, I know this is backed up by player tracking data and stuff like that, but I think just in general, when Samaje Pirine has the ball in space, like his yards after catch expect his exp- yards after catch is like maybe one yard just because he's yeah. Samaje Pirine, but le- right. like legitimately, it didn't make any sense that the Chiefs let him score there, but you know what it was? I know that, it's the Joe Mixon screen play against the Lions that gets a lot of credit with Jamar Chase's blocking. Jamar Chase had a phenomenal block uh, on that Samaje P. Ryan score. So I don't know how he outran eleven players on the Chiefs, but what what a play!
0: Yeah, I think there was an early missed tackle in there too that that helped spring it. But um, yeah, that great point, great point there. And so Samaje had a half a percent chance of scoring when he caught the ball. That tells you that things are going your way. Uh, when you, when you utilize that next gen stat there. And then finally, we've got one more, let's see um, the, the defense. We, we talked about this here. This is, this goes into what you were talking about in terms of the looks that Lou Anarumo went to in the second half, 35%. The Bengals dropped eight plus defenders in coverage on a season high, 35% of pass plays. Check this one out, John. Patrick Mahomes struggled on these plays going seven of 13 for 59 yards and an interception and two sacks. And I believe all of that came in the second half.
1: Unreal. (laughs) It really is. Like at some point you would think that the chiefs would have a counter to this. And I know that the, the common theme is that why haven't the chiefs ran the ball it's not like they were just having three down linemen and putting eight guys in the backfield immediately. No, they were sim pressuring, right? They had Logan Wilson, they had Sam Hubbard and Tranderson showing blitz off the edge. And then just one of those guys uh, drops back and then you only have to get rushing three. So it's not like they were showing just open gaps at the line and the Chiefs should have just ran the ball. Like they were showing fronts, defensive fronts where the Chiefs like, okay, we can pass protect in this situation and we can get an explosive play because that's That's always in the Chiefs' minds, right? They're not thinking about running the ball when they have Patrick Mahomes and these elite receivers back there. The Bengals were showing defenses where it wasn't necessarily, oh, they can easily be ran on pawn here. They were disguising things in the pre-snap phase, and that's ultimately what led to this production because Mahomes was just confused in the post-snap, and that's why this happened. It's not so clear and obvious as to, oh, the Chiefs should have just ran the ball.
0: Right, and so those are the stats of the week. Thanks, to zebra technologies and next gen stats nfl.com sending those our way we appreciate that and we always find those pretty dang entertaining so those are the stats of the week appreciate them sending those over to us um let's get to we haven't done one of these in a while a state your case we've got another cutesy little intro for this segment um this is this is going to be an interesting one because this is talking about how the bangles catapulted themselves into the Super Bowl. So, state your So, where we're going with this one, John, is look, there, there are a number of different moments, a number of different specific games, now, a, a number of different points in the season wherein you can say that's. That's where those the Bengals made the turn and got where they are today in this season. Um, I, there are a lot of different ones that I've thought about. I said a couple of them on that on that radio station in Rochester, the Fan in Rochester um, today. But I want to get your take on this. Where where was? If you want to mention a couple, that's fine. You can cheat. You can cheat if you want, John. Um, but if you have kind of a couple of turning points or a turning point where you go, this is this is where I think this team really put their foot on the, on the pedal or really gained a next level of, we knew this was a confident group, right? The, the youth, the talent, we knew it was going to be confident, but where they maybe gained another level of confidence that said, we can beat anybody. We can get through the postseason, season, et cetera. I'm, I'm going to
1: let Zach Taylor answer this one for me. Cause he kind of surprised people when he was asked about the Eli Apple stop in the second half against the chiefs. And that, kept the game at a two-score game, an 11-point deficit. And he didn't reference the previous Chiefs game as something where they looked back and said, yeah, like it, if we're in this situation, we, we feel good. He referenced week four against the Jaguars on Thursday night. People, if, if you need a refresher on this, they were down 14 points. They were shut out by the Jaguars on primetime in the first half. Trevor Lawrence and the Jags have the ball fourth and goal. Larry Ogunjobi and Logan Wilson make a stop on a Trevor Lawrence keeper at the inch yard line. And if Lawrence gets in there, it's a 21-point game. It's basically an impossible comeback in the second half. They go into halftime down 14, they make an incredible second half run. They win they win at the buzzer in that game. That was the play that Taylor referenced. Okay, if Eli Apple makes a stop against the Chiefs, that is something that I think for quoting Taylor here is in our memory banks. And we look at that, and we have confidence that we can overcome something like that. So a win against the Jaguars, the lowly Jaguars, first overall pick in the 2022 NFL draft, and then going up against the Chiefs in the AFC Championship, you wouldn't think that those two would correlate. But even that win against the Jaguars, they got them to 3-1. I know they didn't win the next week against the Packers because a lot of things happened. But I think that situation, having the confidence to do that again because they'd done it before, I think that was honestly an underrated turning point in the season.
0: I would agree with you. That is one of a few that you could you could point to. Um, there are a couple of honorable. That's that's an honorable mention for me. I saw someone in here talking about the the first Raiders game in Vegas out of the bye. Um, you know they they were coming off of that bad loss to the Jets and all that kind of stuff, and I, I think that's a turning point. I think you could even argue week one in the way that 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 game. Uh, came about the fact that there was that confidence that was built immediately with that Jamar Chase deep ball. The fact that the Bengals allowed a, a lead to evaporate, and then you know those the gutsy play call at the end there to CJ Uzama, and then their rookie kicker seals it. All of that can be can be said. Um, I'm going to go with though the answer that I gave a little earlier today, and I'm going to say the rematches against the Steelers and the Ravens. Um, and the reason I say that is because, yeah, you could point to those first ones and just say, yeah, you know, the Steelers were decimated in that first game. And, you know, the Ravens w- w- were a lot healthier in that first one. But, you know, maybe that just the next it was just they got caught off guard or whatever. They came back and they throttled those teams again. And the fact that those are AFC North powerhouses, those teams have traditionally owned the division for the most part, the Bengals have had their nice runs in there and a, a handful of division crowns, obviously. They've been kind of up there with them here and there. But in terms of postseason success, in terms of the Steelers just owning the Bengals, the fact that they completed the sweep of both of those teams and did so in blowout fashion, that to me kind of said, this is this is next level. This is, And you can argue the merits of those wins because of a banged up Ravens team at that point. And, of course, the Steelers kind of maybe being a little down by their standards. They still made the postseason. So, to me, when you're able to get that second division win against quality opponents and do so in multiple – win by multiple possessions, that to me said "This, this team's got it. And and maybe it's not Super Bowl got it at that point in time. Maybe I didn't believe that. But I said this team's got playoff potential. They've got a playoff win potential because they're not backing down to these, these teams that have traditionally, at least in the first couple of years in the Zach Taylor era, have taken it to them. So those to me were kind of the ones where I said that that's a big turning point. Might have been a little later in the season for some, but that – that was a, a a big sign to me.
1: Yeah, I don't think I don't think the uh, timing of when that happened in the season. I, I think in terms of this, I think it could happen anywhere, anytime in this season. Just just the way that they beat them too, because the way that they constructed this team, and this was something that we talked about around the draft and after the draft, the addition of Jamar Chase it tells you that they're not concerned about matching the AFC North's traditional style of play. They want to compete with the very best teams in the NFL, and they beat the AFC North, those teams specifically in ways that you don't normally see, just an explosive offense just outpacing the other two. And, like, the Steelers couldn't match up. The Ravens were banged up, and they couldn't really do much of anything either. So just the way that they toppled those teams in ways that other Bengals teams haven't been able to do in the past, it really said something. And I guess a- along those lines, after that Ravens game, you, know, you were confident in this team – potentially making the playoffs. They only had to win one more game. And we all assumed that it was going to be against the Browns and the Chiefs were going to be too good to beat them. I think just for me personally, beating the Chiefs in the division like that, it, it really shifted like, okay, this team is good. This team can do something to now this team is actually legit. And for the first time in the Zach Taylor era, I truly believed at that point that they could beat anybody on any given Sunday. not just like they don't have a chance or they're just, not going to be good enough or they don't they don't have the talent or anything like that game and the way that they wanted for them to be aggressive all throughout the game and to just outplay and out scheme the chiefs in the way that they did, that was the turning point for me and maybe even for them to give them the confidence that we can go up against any other team. And I know that Burrow said that against the Ravens the first time, like if we can win the division, we can win the whole thing, but beating the chiefs like that and just out Mahomes, if you, if you will, it really gave me that sense that they can do anything in this league.
0: I I agree. Um, I mean, again, I know that that's a little later in the season, but that is, that is another turning point. Um, But I mean, there are a lot of arguments that could be made on, on some of their wins there. You can argue the first wins against those two teams, the Steelers and the Ravens, you can argue that, like I said, the Vikings, the Raiders, uh, the Chiefs, I mean, any of those really, but um, I, 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 I know you've got a couple there and I I like the Jaguars answer and I like, um, I like the chief's answer, but uh, you know, again, a lot of different areas in which to point for this team and man, the quality wins this year, there's been a lot in in terms of wins over quality opponents and some of those wins, some of those wins in dramatic last second fashion. And some of those in blowout fashion as it goes with the AFC North.
1: Yeah. It's, I think it's a great point because in terms of like projecting regression, you look at a lot of teams that win close games and get a lot of luck in those situations, but it's not just been McPherson at the gun for 17 or 18 games. That's happened in five games, sure, but they've had blowout wins too. They've had blowout wins against divisional teams. They took care of business against the Lions and and a couple of other teams too. So in terms of just looking forward, like teams that end up blowing out teams and that end up not getting blown up by other teams, aside from just one game against the Browns, that bodes well going forward, at least to the next year.
0: It does. It does. So that is this week's state your case. I'm sure there are a lot of mixed opinions on all kinds of different ways or the big areas in which you think that the, the Bengals made their mark here, but we'll, we'll take ours. And that's, that's where we're going with it. Let's, Close up here, John, for just a couple minutes. We won't spend a ton of time on it because we've got a lot to preview next week. And obviously, we'll have a better idea on injuries. We'll have more sights, sounds, interviews, all kinds of stuff from players at that point in time. But let's start with this. Okay. A lot was made if the Bengals were to get past the Chiefs and when they got past the Chiefs. A lot was made of who would you rather face? The Niners and the Rams. And there's also there's the emotional storyline aspect, but there's also a matchup aspect. And those two things kind of collide here when you when you talk about that. I don't I don't know if you had a dog in that fight, uh, but I'd like to hear it if you did, because we haven't talked about that.
1: Well, if it comes down to it, you'd much rather face Jimmy Garoppolo than that Rams offense. You know, and that's just mm-hmm. that's the way it is. And, you know, we can say that because apparently, according to Rich Eisen, um before the Rams and 49ers game started, both teams are watching the Chiefs and Bengals game. And every time the Bengals scored and the Chiefs were getting a turnover, both fan bases were losing their minds because they both wanted to play the Bengals. So they can say that, and we can say that, you know, it would have been better if the Bengals were going to play the 49ers, not only because the 49ers probably overachieved with Jimmy Garoppolo quarterback, but the Bengals played the 49ers before Joe does very well against teams that he's played before against common opponents. And they probably should have won that game the, when they played in December, if not for a couple of months punts and a lack of aggression in overtime. So yeah, 49ers definitely were the better matchup. But the Rams, obviously talent across the board. Matthew Stafford's been on fire in the postseason. That defensive line is scary, 100%. There, there are definitely things that favor the Rams, but Anthony... They're a four seed like the Bengals. They weren't perfect during the season. They definitely had their lumps, and they definitely have weaknesses coming into this game
0: as well. They do. Uh, they are. Th- there's a lot of uh, look. I mean, Matt, Matt Stafford has thrown for I think close to five thousand yards. I think I said this on a little brief view of the the, the matchup here. I think he threw for forty eight hundred plus, almost forty nine hundred yards you know, 40 plus touchdowns, but he's, he averaged an interception a game, at least in terms of the regular season. So he was turning over the ball quite a bit. And that is a point of weakness. Um, You know, the the Rams secondary and Ramsey and all those guys are good, but they have been seen by upper tier wide receivers to give up a player to hell that, that team, that Rams team, John, in the, I think it was the final week of the season. They played the 49ers and they gave up a big lead. And let him win. They gave up a big lead against Tom Brady. What was it? Four touchdowns. They yeah. almost had him. They almost had him come back and, and and beat him and knock him out of the postseason. So you can put points on this team, and you can put points on this team sometimes in a flurry, which plays into the Bengals' wheelhouse. So uh, to your point, there are some weaknesses there. Um, we're gonna get to Sox's uh, YouTube question in just a second. His super chat question. His or her super chat question in just a second but I want to I want to ask you about the storylines here because the two major ones of course are Andrew Whitworth going up against his team we talked a little bit about him Uh, a lot of Bengals fans have a soft spot for him myself included great guy great player Uh, and then of course the McVay Zach Taylor connection let's talk a little bit about Whitworth your thoughts about him making another Super Bowl the Bengals going up against him in it Congrats to Whitworth, man. Just, again, 40
1: years old, starting at left tackle in a Super Bowl. I, you know, 239 games is actually selling him short sure, because he's played, I think, at least like 14 playoff games or something like that at this point um, over the course of his career. He's an enemy this week. And at the end of the day, at the the end of the day, no one's really going to be thinking about Andrew Whitworth finally winning the, winning the Super Bowl if the Bengals lose the Super Bowl. So phenomenal player still. He's got Trey Hendrickson this week. He's an op.
0: That's... That's going to be a fun matchup to watch there for sure. That's going to be a fun one to watch there now. As it goes with McVeigh and Taylor, uh, chess match there, they know each other pretty well, they know what they like to do. McVeigh really took it to Taylor a couple of years ago in that London game against the Rams, completely different team, obviously, at that point. I, I don't know, man. I mean, uh, just kind of initial thoughts on McVeigh versus Taylor. Does McVeigh have this? grand advantage over his former pupil um i think it's kind of cool because to me it reminds me of a little bit of 88 with the weish walsh situation um so i mean uh, for those who wanted the niners for a little bit of revenge or whatever um there's kind of a similar storyline here a little bit i mean it's not there's not as much animosity as there was with walsh and the Bengals, but you kind of got that mentor mentee thing that I think is pretty cool, but uh, I don't know your your kind of initial thoughts. What advantages disadvantages do you think exist there?
1: In my completely unprofessional opinion, the fact that Sean McVay has a photographic memory and Zach Taylor has to keep everything in notebooks, I think McVay probably has the advantage.
0: Maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I don't know, like because a lot of things that that Taylor knows as an offensive mind, he learned it from McVay. He has nothing but great things to say about his time in Los Angeles, I believe he's on the record for saying it was the best two or three years of his life, just being in that culture and in, in that environment and having influence on the offense as well. And just to see him grow as a head coach and a play caller, you see a lot of the McVay influence. So both, like, it's not necessarily an advantage for either one because both of them know which what the other likes to do because they both learn from each other, specifically in this case, Taylor more learning from McVay. The difference is I think the Bengals defense is better coached compared to the Rams defense, you got to remember the Rams lost their defense coordinator. He became a coach that everyone loves to meme now, Brandon Staley of the chargers. So I think the Rams have a, obviously a talented defense. They have two, three, maybe four, at least three future hall of fame players in Donald Miller and Ramsey. But I think the Bengals just have a more cohesive unit and they work better together. And you have that up against, I guess the more seasoned play caller in McBay. It's probably the matchup of the game. In my opinion, but I, th- I think you brought up a good point, though, because against the Buccaneers, they almost gave up 27-3. They almost gave Tom Brady another phenomenal comeback in his career, and that's honestly kind of the theme for McVeigh. And a lot of people have gripes with Zach Taylor getting conservative towards the end of games where he has the lead or not letting his quarterback cook. That's been a theme for McVeigh for years now. Like He's not cutting off the hook in that sense. That's something with McVeigh. That's something with Kyle Shanahan. It might just be something in that coaching tree as well. So... If the Rams end up having this this lead in the Super Bowl, which is possible, they're they're the more talented team. They're favored. I wonder how that goes up against the Lou Anaruma defense that completely outsmarted Andy Reid last week.
0: At first blush, you know, a couple of initial impressions I have is uh, from a from a defensive standpoint. To your point you know the Bengals that cohesive unit they may not have the star power but they've got a unit that is playing hard hustles 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 and uh you know can can make adjustments on a dime in a game so you know that that's you know I can't I don't know that I can say the same necessarily for the Rams but they've got individual stars they've got a lot of a lot of weapons on defense that can make you pay so you know that's that's one of the things, and then of course, uh, with that comes comes this question here from Socks. Uh, if it hasn't already been asked, how do the Bengals counter Aaron Donald? We'll talk more about this next week, but I, I mean, that's just the question of the week, uh, a question of the the next couple of weeks. What do the Bengals do? And of course, the worry, you know, you've got the right guard situation. Trey Hopkins has been up and down. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of different stuff that's going on here. So. What what do you do here? I mean, do you just leave it back in there to, to try and help however they can? I don't know. What do you do?
1: Exactly what I'm doing right now. I'm praying. <laughs> like, how do you stop Aaron Donald? How do you stop the you, very you, best you NFL player over the past? Se- he is the best player in the NFL. It's bar none. It's been that way for four or five years. Aaron Donald does not need a Super Bowl title to get into the Hall of Fame. He is a lock right now. And I know that a lot of people have been saying Jackson Carman should get the start at right guard because he can handle power better compared to Hakeem Edenogy, and that could be an advantage against Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald's biggest strength is quickness, is speed. He gets under guys like an edge rusher who's 50 pounds lighter than him. It's insane what he can do. So I don't know if it really matters who the right guard is. All I know is that they probably have to double-team him a lot. Like, that's the only counter to Aaron Donald. You can't leave him... In one-on-one situations he's going to win most of them he's going to turn most of them into sacks there is no scenario here where Aaron Donald does not finish with less than at least one sack he probably gets two that's just something that you have to live with if you're a Bengals fan if you're a Bengals coach there is no game planning around this dude and I think that's the that's the whole question now because you have him and Von Miller and even um Leonard Floyd coming off the edge one of these guys is going to get one-on-one, and, and how many times can they go in empty? How many times can they go in empty sets with with, with only five blockers because you can only double-team one of those guys? I don't know how they're going to do it. They have 10 days to figure it
0: out. Jonah's going to have to hell, have a hell of a game, right? Um, and that sounds weird because I'm not saying that he's going up against Aaron Donald per se, but he's going to need to win. A, he's probably going to go on an island uh, a, a, at some point, so he's going to need yeah. to have a hell of a game. And you're going to need to... Go back and listen to Joe Valerio, our, our our interview with him, with the Chiefs, and talk about slide protection and how he broke that down, because that, I think, is very apropos this week in terms of what the Bengals are going to do, the mismatches, and, because he was talking about Chris Jones, a guy who's an interior lineman that causes all kinds of problems there. And, and Go back and listen to that part of that interview. It was, it was very, very entertaining and, and informative there, but... The other thing, John, is it's probably going to just honestly take some more Burrow magic because those guys are going to get in there and he's going to need to be able to slip out of their grasp and make a play. I can count at least three times, two of which he broke for first down runs, one of which he broke for a first down throw last week against the Chiefs where it looked like he was sacked and he made incredible plays. That's going to need to happen again this week in terms of negating Aaron Donald and to the point of – the I, I one other point I wanted to make, and I don't know if you see or feel the same way, but what I said about the Bengals' defense last week using the aggression of the Chiefs' offense against them and turning it into impatience, I kind of see a little bit of a similarity here with the Rams. Right, Stafford's prone to turnovers. Um, OBJ, he's been a he's been a model citizen since he's joined the Rams and has been a nice contributor, but we've seen some ups and downs when things aren't going his way sometimes. Um, so you know, I, I kind of feel like if the Bengals plan well on defense, they can maybe turn their offense against itself like they did with Kansas City.
1: hundred percent I think that's how the Bengals ultimately win the game is if they limit the Rams offense. And it's a hard task to do with how well Stafford's playing and how talented Cooper Cup is, and how well OBJ has emerged, immersed emerged, immersed himself in that offense. It- and we can talk more about this next week. And I know what I, what I just I know what I just said was Donald like it sound like I don't think the Bengals have a shot. That's so far from the truth because of this one thing. Aaron Donald is by far the best pass rusher they're going to face, and this might be the most talented defensive line that they faced all season. But they have done nothing this year but face really talented defensive lines, and every defensive line that they face is automatically going to be better and more well-suited to go up against the Bengals offline. They've dealt with this offensive line all season long, and they've dealt with Miles Garrett, T.J. Watt, Max Crosby twice, Chris Jones, Jeffrey Simmons, nine sacks against the Titans. They've done nothing but overcome that. So yep. for anyone right now, yep. for anyone who is automatically counting the Bengals out just because of that obvious and clear and obvious mismatch, no one in the right mind is saying that the Bengals' offensive line is going to shut the Rams' defensive line out. It's not going to happen. Get it through your head. But to say that is the one reason why the Rams will absolutely win this game and not giving the Bengals any shot. You just haven't watched the Bengals this year because that's all they've done here.
0: Yep. Overcome things, shatter expectations that have been low for them. And here they are again, John. They enter the Super Bowl beating the number one seed on their home turf, beating the offensive juggernaut that is the Kansas City Chiefs, a scrappy, Las Vegas Raider teams to get their two road games to get to the Super Bowl, and here they are again, underdogs in the big game. Depending on which outlet you look at, three points, three three and a half points, all the way up. I've seen four, four and a half points, depending. So they're underdogs yet again, and they embrace that. It would seem so. Uh, and by the way, that segment you referred to, the Rich Eisen segment. Um, there's a shortened version of it. There's a longer version that's about eight minutes. If you are a Bengals fan. Go listen to that. Yeah. Go listen to that. That makes you just pumped up. And there's a really another really entertaining interview that he had with Marshall Falk um, that had kind of some, some interesting nuggets on that one. That's about a four-minute clip that's on their on their uh social media as well. So go check that out. But that's gonna that's gonna start wrapping things up for us. We've been going long the last couple of weeks by about 10, 15, 20 minutes. We're gonna try and keep it. Short by our standards. Get it, get us right around an hour. Uh, it, it's been a fun show, John. We crammed a lot in here, and we've got a lot more to come. We're going to get some fans involved over the next week, two weeks. We're going to do some listener questions. We're going to do uh, some interviews. We've got a lot of stuff coming up here. But let's drop the mic and get out of here. What do you got? So the kind folks
1: at the Joe Burrow Hunger Relief Fund reached out to me, I believe, earlier today. And wanted to remind everyone that they have been receiving a lot of donations recently in the form of $56 for Super Bowl 56, $31 for their playoff dropping ended, and $9 for, I guess, that quarterback that came from that area. So the Joe Burrow Hunger Relief Fund is still a phenomenal cause that Burrow himself endorses and obviously gave a lot of attention to during his Heisman Trophy campaign. They still need your guys' help in in the Plains in Athens County, and there's been a lot of donations recently. And it's been great seeing the Bengals community and the fan base continuing to support those great causes. If there's one thing that Bengals fans are. They're very generous, and they know where good causes are, and they always put their money where their mouth is. But shout-out to all of you guys who have been donating in these in these increments of donations. Joe Burrow, Hunger Relief really Fund, 100% a worthy cause. And, you know, Bengals are in the playoffs, and they're making history, and they're making a good, a good change as well. So shout-out to all of you guys.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, and maybe that'll – Well, not maybe at some point that will get in our rotation to help out. We would, I like this thing we're doing where we're helping out some of these Bengal charities and all that kind of stuff. Let's, uh, let's keep that rolling. I like that. Whether it's officially through our show or our listeners or Bengals fans, whatever. I like it. We've had a few hundred live viewers tonight, which is absolutely awesome and we appreciate all that support. I, I can't, I'm not going to use this person's name. Um, their actual name, but uh, they, on Cincy jungle, their handle is, I, I believe Ficus F F I K U uh, S. So it's a, a fan, a, a fan of the Bengals, a, a fan of our show and listener of our show. And I just hope that this person gets their bet. Totally paid off for them because they put down $200 and I'm not going to share the, the deal because there's <laughs> stuff on here. Back in late July in Las Vegas, they put $200 down to win the Super Bowl. If they win off a $200 bet, John, they win $25,200 if the Bengals win the Super Bowl off of a $200 bet. And by the way, I am absolutely kicking myself because i usually make this bet every single year i do like a little uh, a, a vegas trip with with some of my some of my guy friends once a year where we w- go watch some march madness or something like that we go out there for like a weekend and watch some basketball have some fun obviously that has changed the past couple of years because of covid and whatnot so we didn't go the past couple of years but my buddy was going to go out there i was going to give him a 100 bucks and just be like hey just put it on the bangles and let's let's have some fun with it and i could have. Had a similar bet on the line, but I hope for this listener and Cincy Jungle reader's sake, twenty-five grand off a two-hundred-dollar bet, dude. Oh my gosh! I hope it pays out.
1: Yeah, you can almost afford a couple tickets for the Super Bowl with that.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. I was oh boy, looking at some ticket packages today, and I'm going oh boy. Well, I can save on the airfare, but maybe not the rest. Uh, so I don't know. But are you? I, I you're not. You're not coming out this way. Not me, but there will be sheer representation out there. My sister is going to really,
1: Disneyland. oh, she's yeah, yeah, yeah. You told me that, guys. My sister planned a Disneyland trip in like late December for Valentine's Day weekend with her uh, significant other. Obviously, she doesn't like really watch football that much, and I, would, I shouldn't say obviously, she doesn't watch football very much, but she knows that the Super Bowl is typically the first weekend of February, so she's like, okay, that, that's not even in her mind. She doesn't know the Super Bowl is in Los Angeles. She booked a ticket, airfare and hotel in Los Angeles, the weekend of the Super Bowl. And she's flying out of LAX, I believe, the Monday morning after the Super Bowl, completely unknowing that the Super Bowl is out there. So I will not be out there, but there will be a shearing out there trying to enjoy everything in Los Angeles aside from the Super Bowl, and she might, she might wear some Bengals gear as well to show her Cincinnati support, but are you doing like radio rows and stuff? Like what, what's going on with you? No,
0: uh, yet to be determined. Um, at a, at a minimum, I think we're going to be, uh, I'm waiting for verification of it on at a minimum. I think we're going to be doing, um, some virtual stuff, uh, like virtual interviews, virtual, uh, virtual appearances, all that kind of stuff. And then I'm probably going to, um, somehow get up there a, a couple of days a week or a couple of days of the week and see what's going on there. And uh, of course, we're working behind the scenes with various people reaching out to get some interviews and all that kind of stuff too. So, um, you know, we're, we're we're grinding to get that stuff going. So, we'll we'll definitely let folks know um, a, about all of that. So, pretty excited about what's what's going to be coming here over the next week and a half. And hopefully, um, you know, hopefully we can get some cool stuff in the works for everybody.
1: That would be a lot of fun, man. And just, you know, we got to take advantage of this opportunity now because everyone wants to talk about the Bengals and it's early February. This never happens. It's never happened before. Not it may not ever happen again, but we are going to take advantage of it for all of you guys. We're going to be pumping on content like you would not
0: believe over the next 10 days. Absolutely. And of course, we want to remind everybody to keep it to Cincy Jungle, of course, for all of your breaking news opinions analysis all that good stuff etc and as usual you can get this show a number of different ways whether that is on youtube if you're watching us on youtube you can do that uh that you can subscribe to it hit the bell to be notified when we go live all that good stuff we've got our stuff the cincy jungle podcast channel on itunes on stitcher It's on Spotify, it's on Google Podcasts, it's on iHeartRadio, all the major ones. We are there. Check it out and uh, subscribe. It's not only our show, but Orange is the New Black from Ace and Zim, who just finished an interview with Troy Walters, the Bengals wide receiver coach. They did that just before we took the air, so go check that out. And of course, the coach, Matt Minnick, uh, bringing us Chalk Talk and Coach Speak, so Go subscribe how you can and uh, listen to it on your favorite platform, however you like. John, it's been a pleasure. Uh, not that it hasn't been a pleasure over the past few years working with you, but this season in general has just been an immense pleasure covering this team and and yakking about the Bengals with you.
1: They ain't done yet, my man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, they aren't. They aren't done. But I, I'm, I'm hoping it it turns out the way we wanted to. But we'll bring you. Kinds of all kinds of different stuff coming in the next week and a half, but uh, appreciate you, John, appreciate the live listeners, and uh, take care.